Uh, hi everyone, welcome to the latest Pharmacy Magazine COVID-19 podcast, where we tease apart some of the big issues of the past few days as far as pharmacy is concerned, and also dish out some pats on the back and some kicks at the backside. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me as usual to discuss the week's events are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy Magazine, and Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News. Uh, good morning both. Uh, first of all, and most importantly of all, uh, Rob, are you well, are you fit, and are you firing? Um, all those things, Richard, to be fair, uh, yep, absolutely. Uh, another uh, int- interesting week, which I'm sure we're going to spend some time discussing. Certainly has been. Uh, Arthur, how are you doing? You well? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have some outdoor space in London, so currently have a view of birds cheeping, t- cheeping and tweeting and stuff, which makes things a little bit easier and more manageable. It, it sounds positively bucolic. I'm sure it's not quite, but, uh, but that's nice. Now, as I was getting up today, I, I had a sudden burst of realisation that in, in another world and on my alternative timeline, uh, I would have been going to see the bootleg Beatles at the Albert Hall tonight. Uh, this COVID crisis has thrown everyone's plans out of the window this Easter, uh, not least pharmacists. Uh, but Rob, what would you have been doing in your alternative COVID-free timeline? Uh, I would have probably, uh, well, I would certainly have seen my grandchildren. So that's going to be a bit strange. Having them around is definitely different. Fuck, they're six and two going on 16. So them not being around is a bit difficult. FaceTime and or whatever other means of communication are available and not is not quite the same i suppose i i might have now the clocks have gone back i'd been playing a bit of golf but golf courses are all closed so we can't do that and i would also be looking forward to a, a short holiday i've got a sort of a big birthday coming up which i'm not really talking about very much and uh, i was going to be off that week but it looks like that's gone down the pan as indeed my holiday slightly earlier in the year went down the pan so um I guess I might have to do a bit of gardening, Richard. <laughs> Good. Well, those those borders need a bit of tidying up. Rob, um, Arthur, you were going to be away, weren't you, over Easter? Yeah, in my parallel universe, I'm packing my bags for my flight to Tel Aviv tomorrow for uh, Easter slash it's going to be Passover there, I think. So it was a bit disappointing not to be able to go, but in the, the bigger scheme of things, sort of soon adjusted to it. Yeah, well, let's hope it's not too long before... We're allowed out again to see the bootlegs or travel to the Holy Land or flat perfect three iron down the fairway. Uh, let's hope so, anyway. So let's start then. We do a regular feature on the pod. It's gone down quite well. Uh, we call it Good Week, Bad Week. So, Rob, let's start with you. Um, who's had a bad COVID week in our world? Well, I'm going to say the British media because I think there are lots of loose ends that could do with following up. So I'm... I'm I'm getting slightly fed up. This focus there's been on on Trump, if I'm being honest. I think there's lots of stories uh, about how coronavirus is being dealt with here, or not being dealt with in some cases, uh, particularly well in this country. And I think there's lots of loose ends around testing and what's happening within the NHS. And I'm sure we're going to talk about some of, some more of those things. But do you know what? I every every night it seems we get some clips from a Trump press conference where so we're parroting factually inaccurate dangerous in some cases particularly when it starts talking about drugs and i just think it could it would be nice if we 
stopped hearing any of that because it doesn't add anything to the whole discourse. And I've said it on social media several times. I think it would also be quite nice if we had a few more questions asked of our own authorities by the non-political press. You know, this is above above all else a health issue. And I would like to hear health specialists trying to get to the bottom of some of these things that we all want answers to. But particularly, I know we're going to talk about it, but particularly so testing. So I think it's been I think it's been a bad week for the uh, for the British media. Bad week for the media, yes. Um, seem to be obtre- obsessed with Trump, don't they? Arthur, who's blotted uh, their copybook for you? Yeah, I do, sir. I agree with Rob. I think as well the lobby seems to be making a real meal of this idea that there's a power vacuum now that you know Boris Johnson is unfortunately in hospital. I mean, it's a legitimate question, but I think there are sort of bigger things to worry about. Um, he's had a bad way. I think, unfortunately, pre-registration pharmacists and pharmacy technicians are, are still in sort of limbo as to what their training is going to look like. I mean, it's looking pretty certain that there'll be some sort of provisional registration to allow them to, to, to work in pharmacies during the pandemic, but we still don't know what that's going to look like. And yeah, still big question marks over how this is going to impact their training and their careers after this. Yeah, big big issues uh, that the GPHC has got on its plate to, <clears throat> to sort to sort all that lot out. Uh, well, Rob, you mentioned testing. For me, it, it's definitely been um, another bad week actually for, for public health England. And this time, over the availability of, of antibody tests. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago? It feels like a different age, uh, but Public Health England announced that home testing antibody kits uh, would soon be available to order online and from pharmacies and they they hailed it didn't they as a, as a so-called game changer because if these antibody tests they would have shown who'd already built up immunity and, and would have offered us a, a, a way out of lockdown well it turns out these tests um, and the government ordered millions of them I think they're they dead they're all dead they all returned uh, inaccurate results and that means it's it, back to the drawing board and these tests are probably at least a month away if that. Uh, Public Health England is also getting itself into a mess with antigen tests too. And with Matt Hancock ramping up, sorry, not meant to use that phrase ramping up, but he keeps going on about targets and numbers. Surely this is another lesson to the government that it's got to get the, the detail right before it announces everything. We've seen this in pharmacy with the deliveries fiasco. You know, it's all about, it's all about trust. Uh, you get these things wrong from a communication perspective and it, it just damages trust uh, and that's not helpful. The whole testing issue has become very unclear and, and, and problematic for me, actually. So um, bad week for me, again, for Public Health England. Uh, right. I, do, all... I, think, I, I think just before you move on, Richard, I mean, I think that, that to me is a, a real ch- real problem. You know, we over the weekend there was a story that um, we could have apparently got 400,000 tests as an initial sort of download from South Korea. And we were all reading about countries where testing is being seen to be effective. And if the South Koreans have got 400,000 tests that they could ship over like yesterday, why haven't we got them? And, and I'm just wondering whether there's a whole kind of challenge about this kind of go-it-alone mentality where... You know, if if the South Korean authorities are using a test, what, why 
Why do we have to test it separately? I don't, I don't understand. I'm really struggling with that whole motion. Well, I would I imagine that they, are they being delayed because Public Health England wants to do its own testing on them? Apparently so. Apparently so. Yeah, it, it's... I see a point. It's a good point. If they're working in, in South Korea, then, then we might as well get them in. I mean, if they're going to hit those those testing targets that Hancock wants, then they're going to have to. It's not cutting a corner exactly, but they're going to have to accelerate the process, that's for sure. Uh, and the, NHR, yes, the NHRA yes. page hasn't been updated since the 2nd of, April, 2nd of April. That's nearly a week ago now. Yeah, that, that's poor. Arthur? Yeah, I think it was yesterday, Chris, when he said for the first time that maybe we should look to Germany and emulate Germany, whereas, you know, people have been saying that for weeks now. It makes you wonder whether there's some sort of chaos going on at the in the powers that be. Are people communicating with one another? Yeah, I think it, it certainly raises issues about what's going on within Public Health England. And there are accountability issues, I think, that are beginning to, to, to crop up as well. Uh, and we will no doubt return to those in future pods. Uh, so thanks for that, Berth. Uh Before we do Good Week, let's move on to the, the interview segment of this week's pod. And this is where we get to hear from pharmacists at the front line of the coronavirus crisis who tell us in their own words about their experiences, their hopes and their fears. Earlier this week, I put in a call to the brilliant Ade Williams, the award-winning pharmacist at Bedminster Pharmacy in Bristol, and this is what he had to say. Thanks for joining us on the pod, Adi. Uh, first of all, most importantly, um, how are you? Are you well? Um, and how is your I, uh, I'm well. I'm well. I think the team is um, the team's well. We've got uh, one person off sick today, uh, which for us has been, compared to many other colleagues, is certainly um, much better than you know what the uh, you know what the reports. It can be but we're okay you know we're tired sometimes but we're also learning to take better care of ourselves and and do the things we need to do as we should that's good so you're in, you're in good shape that's good to yeah. hear. so the last three weeks or so have been incredibly challenging for pharmacy haven't they what's it been like for you and your team on the covid front line how have you coped i think we first thing to say is that we really had to re- innovate and adapt a lot um, I think the first part of it, you know, like any part of the human experience when you face a crisis like this, was really just panic. Uh, panic because everything just, it was a deluge, you know, there was no kind of any safety barriers. I think it really, you know, for one thing that we felt, I, I personally, and I think the team when we've spoken, I've really felt is that how we had no safety barriers. I think historically, the financial situation, the settlement and the funding cost had or, you know, taking some, you know, taking a lot away. But for somebody coming into community pharmacy, you didn't see that. You know, you still saw the same things happening. But when you know the volumes were coming in, and the other thing that we were really struck by was how isolated we were. I think more, more so isolated from the local primary care uh, networks. You know, which seems rather ironic because we do have those networks. But it seemed as though when primary care was made, making decisions about how to cope with this, community pharmacy was simply left, you know, without a lifeboat to sail across from what was the crisis that was coming. And, but yeah, it's been tough. Um, it's really stretched us. It's really made us think of different things. And I think there are many people, many organizations that have come through very well. I, I think, um, I don't think anybody's coming through badly. I think there's people that are coming out, whether deliberately or accidentally, has been very 
slow to respond or responding in an almost half-hearted way. But I think there is this, when we do look back at this, there will be many people that we will be able to say, wow, you know, they did what was instinctive. And I think the, the, that is the failure that it may come out, is those that seem not to instinctively do the right things quickly. So have you felt then unsupported by um, either the national organisations or, or, or the local NHS in Bristol? I think, I think unsupported would be, um, would be disingenuous. I think, um, I think that you can see lots of people doing, doing the, trying to do the right thing. Um, there seems to be some frustration, some failures. I mean, personally, one of the things that, I, that really dawned on me was I felt as if pharmacy was friendless in the right places. Um, it looks as though, for the first time, I, I, I became much more concerned about our future after this, our future relationships. Because at the time when our value is not in doubt, at the time when we are doing, you know, you know we are doing more for the, for the system, uh, completely for communities than before, just not being able to be able to bring together a coalition of champions and bike down doors and the... I think really showed maybe just how forlorn we've become and maybe how our relationships are not there. Why? I don't know, but I think particularly to read about the stress of colleagues and I know that you have, and you know, you've been very good at championing that and really trying to offer practical help. I mean, you sent out the sign to help me manage my COVID-19 um, patients turning up. That, those are practical things, instinctive things. And it seems as though if you can, be so instinctive and organizations can be so instinctive why can then maybe uh, government organizations and sometimes particularly the nhs or the department just seem so unwilling to do what would be so empathetic and, and instinctive for people that we know are doing great things for us you know i think that's been one kind of real worry for me and really maybe the sad point in the whole in the whole experience so far so what message would you like to send to the government about this in terms of how it's um, supported pharmacy or how it even reflects the value with which it holds pharmacy? I, I don't think uh, we've really yet, and I, I know that some colleagues have mentioned things on social media and there's some press as well, outside of the professional press as well, that's spoken about it, but I don't think um, there has really been an awareness of how um, not, this is not anger, but really much more how disheartened it has been for community pharmacy colleagues. You know, this is much more of a psychological issue uh, that they've really felt that they've not been let down by the system. I think they felt as if they've been let down by, uh, um, uh, you know, collectively by a whole array of, 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 of systems that seemed at the same time to be supporting others. I, I think the weight of that and the enormity of that is really particularly the gravity of it who could be very significant for the profession because uh, one of the most painful things I've heard people always say is that they would never tell their children to study pharmacy. And I dare say, when we come out of this, there'll be lots of pharmacies looking at their children and looking at their saying, I don't want you to go into pharmacy because nobody values you. And I think that is the real indictment of how bad this has been. Yeah, certainly. I think there's going to need to be a, a re complete reappraisal, I think, of, of the relationship between government and pharmacy and actually reappraisal of pharmacy's place on the front line in primary care uh, when we get through this. That, that's for sure. Now, pharmacy in England, of course, is facing uh, an acute 
cash flow and funding crisis uh, at the moment. How much of a concern is that right now for you? I think it is a big concern. I, I remember uh, on, I think it was uh, on the, I think it was on Friday, I think it was about, it will be about uh, nine days ago now, as um, Jess, who, you know, I, like you, I, I'm married to a pharmacist as well. And um, she was heading off to, uh, to go into community pharmacy. And I was on the phone trying to arrange an overdraft with a bank manager. And, you know, and, and what dawned on me was that there was all these needs, all these pressures, all the places I needed to be. But I'm thinking we still got bills to pay. And it could have been so easy to deal with that. Um, I think the problem is that um, it, it, there, there might have historically been some misconceptions about how different pharmacies are. So maybe there is this sort of, you know, sense of, oh, there's more in this pharmacy, uh, you know, gravy trail that, is, that they're not letting out of. But even in the midst of this crisis, there are some things that all the other home nations seem to think just needed doing. And we haven't seen in England. Now, the problem with that is that very soon we are all going to go to, I start to think again about what is, how are we going to manage this? And it looks as if this is going to push some pharmacies over the edge if we're not very careful. And it's going to be, create a, a real crisis of confidence for those that are left. And we are almost sending the message to pharmacies is that you have done much more than was expected of you. And if, if you create that as the philosophy or the psychology behind how we practice, I think, you know, our nation, our communities, our profession will be the worst for it. But that is the message that, that this is going to say, you know, you've done too much. You know, you went out and just, you know, stayed extra hours, told people to come in. You just went out and did that. No, no, no. You should have just protected yourself. You know, why did you do that? And I don't think that people appreciate that that's the reality of this when you're sitting there looking at your bank balance and thinking, I've got, I've got loans to pay or staff to pay and I can't do so. And it is really chronic. It's not some exaggeration. The reality of it is that even for me, I am, it's what I'm thinking about more, you know, almost 40% of the time. How are we going to weather this storm? Yeah, that's, that's really worrying, Adi. And I think, uh, uh, well, I know many pharmacists and, and, and contractors are, are, are in exactly the same position. Clearly, really concerning. I think over 50% of pharmacists, pharmacies, according to PSNC, are running at a deficit at the moment. So uh, there is a big problem, I think, that, that's coming our way. And the government needs to respond to that in England. NHS England just has to respond to that, surely. That's some of the negatives of the situation. But what about the positives? Have there any positives come out of the COVID crisis? Oh, I think, think, think you've done to, to help things, your patients. I think, I think the positives are really, you know, really just been the teams. You know, sometimes the, the face of community pharmacy can be perceived as being the pharmacist. But, wow, the wonderful pharmacy teams. You know, I look at my team and I think, you know, they could have a more secure, better appreciated role sitting at the till in the supermarket at the moment. And leaving their families coming into a, into this environment where they seem unsupported, you know, by the institution that they are actually meant to be representing. But look at their dedication. Look at their willingness to put themselves out there. Look at the community. You know, we've had incidences sadly reported of, you know, pockets of communities where there's been, you know, the worst of human behavior. But I think most colleagues would say that they've been overwhelmed by the best of human behavior. Every day we have four people turning up volunteering to do, to do something for us, you know, which most of the time we don't need. But that's there. We've seen 
also lots of innovation at this point in time. I mean, we've set up <laughs> you know, delivery service working with a running, you know, with a with a women's running group, which is verified and we check them and you know they and that was done within like a few hours of, of this. So we've seen things happen at great speed. The changes that are going to happen to the profession as a result of this, to practice in community pharmacy, will be really enormous. You know, we are going to really rip out some of the old things and really not settle for some of that. But, you know, there is in this as well. And also lots of really people be standing up, you know. With the, I think there is the, the anger and the frustration has raised lots of new voices, which people like yourselves are now having to, you know, also to, to listen to, which is good. Because it's not just a few old people saying, oh, you know, this is not good. But now everybody's actually saying, what exactly is there something dysfunctional about the relationship of community pharmacy and the funding structure that we're working and it is and it's not bad for community pharmacy but it's bad for our communities it's bad for our our it's bad for the health of the nation and ultimately it's not the best of the nhs and community pharmacy is being seen as the best of the nhs at the moment so well done everybody even though that's not going to pay the bills <laughs> well that's uh, that's a very realistic summing up of the situation are but also uplifting too and you're, you're so right i know your pharmacy team at bedminster has done is doing some tremendous work in these difficult circumstances and and i know you are too um so thanks again for that and thanks again for joining us on the pod um I wish you a happy Easter, but I know you're probably going to be working. So, um, Adi, we mustn't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Okay, we won't. But I hope you manage to grab some rest. Take care, stay Thank well, you. and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. So that was Adi Williams there, a uh, very concerned uh, Adi, worried about the future and with some strong words, actually, about pharmacy has been treated by the government and NHS England, especially when compared to the, the situation in, in Wales and Scotland. Uh, powerful stuff. Um, Rob, we've been hearing, you've been talking to a lot of pharmacists over the, the course of the last few weeks. Um, you've been hearing a lot of pharmacists saying that they feel let down um, and abandoned on the front line, really, over all sorts of things. Um, PPE being a, a classic example. They're angry, aren't they? There's a real sense of, of anger at NHS England out there. I think, uh, yeah, there, there's a combination of feelings I've picked up. I mean, I think anger is one of, certainly one of them. I think also, and this is putting it mildly, I think people are quite mystified by some of the language. You know, that you've got people saying no expense will be spared to, you know, help people get through this. And there's lots of money going into various parts of the system. You see some amazing, amazing, amazing work being done in establishing brand new hospitals. I mean, who'd have, who'd have thought in the election that building 40 hospitals was actually not a real thing? Uh, so hospitals going up all over the place, amazing commitment there. And yet we're, we're worrying about a few, a sector which is, has worked incredibly hard over the last three, four weeks. Um, genuinely, I think, are struggling to understand quite why some of the treatment is as it is. So anger mystified and frankly very very frustrated that what appeared to be what appeared to me to be quite legitimate concerns about their own personal safety is just not getting any kind of traction at all i, I you know I, I i find it extraordinary really i mean arthur you've written uh, a lot about ppe and other things um what are you picking up from the the pharmacist that, that you've spoken to out there yeah well rob you say you're mystified i think there might be a clue in what one cut 
contractor said to me this week that we felt like a constant afterthought and that, you know, now there's words coming from the pharmacy minister and so on in praise of, of, of the efforts that pharmacy teams have made, but there's still very little in the way of action of, of anything concrete. And this contractor said to me, yeah, maybe they're uh, recognising us now, but if they really recognised us, we wouldn't have had to ask for PPE or testing or key worker status or any of these things. I mean, there's, there's more you could list. Yeah, I mean... It, to me, if the likes of Ade feel, I mean, in his words, let down by the system, and, and he runs a, a brilliant pharmacy, he exemplifies him and his team, everything good about pharmacy. You may have read in the Times, for instance, he had that scheme that he set out with a jogging group of mums to deliver prescriptions during this crisis. So very innovative at the cutting edge. But if he's saying if he's let down by the system and is worried about the future, then I think NHS England should really sit up and take notice. Uh, baby, thanks again for Ari for that. Um, let's pick up the mood a bit, shall we? Let's do good week. Uh, Arthur, should we start with you? Who's had, uh, who's had a good week, Arthur? Um, well, I'd love to give a shout out to any uh, retired ph- pharmacists or people who've, who've left the profession and are now rejoining to help pharmacies sort of fight the pandemic. I think it's a really uh, brave, honourable thing. I've started seeing in the first reports on social media of, of people doing that. I think it's uh, it's really terrific. I think, I mean, all pharmacy teams need to be uh, protected. They need to have PPE and so on. And unfortunately, that's not as forthcoming as it should be. I think it's particularly needed for anyone who's older and is returning to the profession. I think that's essential. Uh, yeah, really good point. Uh, Rob? What about you? Who's had a good week? Yeah, just on that point, I mean, I saw a, a tweet showing my old my old locum, uh, not locum, my old pre-reg uh, boss um, tutor returning to the front line in, in, in Dudley Hospitals. It's really nice to see. Oh, so having been, having been quite um, scathing of the British media, I'm going to say that pharmacy PR has had a good week because uh, there's certainly been a spate of stories on the national BBC, on the TV, World well Arena, on the radio, over the on the state programme earlier this week, particularly in the local press, regional magazine shows, where finally the, the media has had their uh, consciences pricked, I'd like to think, in looking at a, a, a sector often overlooked, and they've been talking to pharmacists about their real issues. So I think there's been an awful lot of coverage this week. I hope it continues because having had their uh, their thoughts alerted to thinking about this sector now, I hope some of those journalists will follow some of these things up that they've been learning from their community pharmacy contributors. Now, of course, it's still to be seen if it makes any difference, uh, especially since it looks like the 300 million cash advance went out as a talking point for uh, government side MPs this week. Um, you know, those kind of things need challenging whenever they, whenever they're made, whenever presented, particularly where it's presented as extra funding, which I know it has been in some of the local press. So, well done to pharmacy comms people, whether that's formal com- communications officers and, and PRs or whether it's just individual pharmacists using the connections they've got, talking to people and getting the pharmacy message, raised up the agenda a bit, well done uh, to those people who've been doing that. 
Yeah, here, here to that. Pharmacy has definitely risen up the agenda, isn't it? There's a steady stream of stories at the moment. Has to be a good thing, doesn't it, to, to get the message out there. Will it make a difference? Well, well let's hope it does. Yeah, there's a, they're quite powerful pieces that I've seen, and I'm sure they will make people in government sit up. They ought to anyway. So, uh, yeah, good week for the comms people. My good week? Well, it's another go for the, uh, the Royal Pharmaceutical Society um, again. This isolation must be making me go a bit soft. Um, but the dear old society has done, has done a few really commendable things this week. It's made Medicines, Ethics and Practice and its other pharmacy guides available uh, to all pharmacy teams. And you know, to Arthur's point, those kind of resources, really important to pharmacists returning to practice from retirement. Uh, today I read that the society announced it has secured um, equal access for all pharmacists to NHS funded mental health and well-being services after a long campaign. The society has really led from the front in this and um, with some good support from pharmacist support amongst others. So that's a not notable win. Um, and it's a little thing, um, but it seems to have gone down really well. But um, um, the society has been sending out these certificates to pharmacists marking a number of years of continuous RPS membership. Now, as I say, it's it's a little thing, but it's it's brilliant PR. And let's be honest, uh, anything that makes people feel a little bit better about themselves uh, in these troubled times has to be commended. Uh, these certificates do make you feel awfully old, though. Well, they do in my case, anyway. So for me, it's a good week for the RPS. So uh, any final thoughts, anything that you've seen that uh, made you laugh or made you smile or give you something to chuckle over? Yeah, Richard, I've got one, actually. So I came across a thing this week. Uh, I was directed to it on my, on my Twitter timeline. So if people want to have a look at this, it's uh, the first, it came out of Doncaster Council. So the Twitter handle is at MyDoncaster. And it's the tale of um, the exploding whale of Florence, Oregon in 1970. So a 45-ton whale ships up on the beach, dead. <laughs> They don't quite know what to do with it. They decide, best note to themselves, they're going to blow it up with dynamite. They get some bloke in, he doesn't know what he's doing. And there's a great story there about why Doncaster Council put it up was it, basically they used it as a kind of analogy for coronavirus because basically what happened in Oregon was they made just one big problem into a huge problem by not quite doing the right thing and certainly not listening to the experts. So if you want to go on there, lessons learned in spades at my Doncaster, the exploding whale of Florence, Oregon from 1970. Uh, thanks, Rob. As soon as uh, we finish this pod, I'm going to do exactly that. And that just about wraps up this week's pod. So thanks to Rob and Arthur for your insights. I enjoyed the chat. Uh, a special shout out this week to our colleague, Monica. Let me do the plug for the merch. Uh, the pod, along with all our news output, is available at pharmacymagazine.co.uk, our daily news service, pharmacynetworknews.com, and also our daily pharmacy magazine e-newsletter. Um, thousands of you have downloaded the app and are receiving our newsletters, so big thanks for that. We're always delighted to receive your comments and feedback. And can I also draw uh, your attention to the discussion forum on the Pharmacy Magazine website so you can join our community and take part in that. I know many of our listeners will be working over Easter, but I wish you a happy Easter despite that. 
I hope you can grab some rest and recharge the batteries. Thank you very much for listening. Take care, and we'll speak to you next time.